He is risen. Resurrection Sunday has returned. And sometimes we Christians cannot help but miss the wonder that Christ has literally conquered death and raised himself to eternal life and that he has promised to do the same miracle for everyone who trusts exclusively in him. In this episode, we will explore this most fantastical of all the truths with returning guest star Tim Chafee, content director for Answers in Genesis and founder of Risen Ministries. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, where we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world Jesus calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett. I publish lorehaven.com. I co-authored The Pop Culture Parent, and I'm grateful that Christ lives and reigns today. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I have recently been on the lookout for what my youngest daughter calls the Easter Bummy. So if you have seen uh, this bummy around, please let me know. And this is episode 108. How does Christ's resurrection change our old lives forever? And we'll be joined by guest Tim Chafee to talk about the real meaning of Easter that's uh, apart from bummies and other eggs and things. I don't like the Easter bunny. I'm total legalist (laughs) when it comes to Easter bunny or bummy, whichever you prefer. Santa is perfectly fine. I will allow you to dress up as a scary scarecrow at Halloween. Uh, but the Easter Bunny has got to be some kind of devilish scheme uh, to detract from the true meaning of Resurrection Sunday. Well, you you probably wouldn't like the actual Easter Bunny that my daughter talks about because it's this uh, person in our neighborhood that dresses up in a life-size outfit. And uh, everyone calls it the creepy Easter Bunny. But but my daughter loves it because she loves big, scary animals. Uh, Chewbacca is her spirit animal. And, uh, you know, when she grows up, she wants to have a bunch of big, black, scary dogs. So she likes creepy things uh, like that, so for her it's fine. But yes, I I, I get it. It's it's a really weird thing that doesn't seem to belong with uh, Resurrection Sunday. I think whether it's a Comic Con or your own neighborhood, uh, you may want to steer clear of adults who like to dress up in big furry costumes. <laughs> it's something I've heard about that can uh, interrelate with some other nonsense we won't go into. I am looking forward to going into this topic, though. Uh, we've had plenty to say on previous episodes of Fantastical Truth about Resurrection human resurrection, spiritual resurrection, and of course, uh, the uh, the resurrection of the planet, as it were. When Jesus returns to earth, he will come to this earth and he will transform it into the new heavens and new earth. That's the future promise, but it only makes sense once you really, really internalize and delight in the wonder of Christ's resurrection and the wonder of real physical human resurrection that he has promised. We're going to get into that with uh, Tim Chafee in just a moment. First off, though, our first sponsor for this episode is, again, the Realm Makers Conference, uh, this event coming up in Atlantic City, New Jersey, uh, from July 21st to 23rd. Here's the description of this event, which is the 10th annual Writers Conference for Realm Makers, by the way. Are you excited to take the next step in your speculative fiction journey? No, not an actual trip to space or time travel or forging your own sword. Joining us for Realm Makers 2022. This year's annual Writers' Conference will again offer the event in person in Atlantic City and live online. So even if you're not ready to travel this July, you can still see the teaching in real time. Every class will be live-streamed for our virtual attendees. Whether you're attending in Atlantic City or online, all attendees will have the chance to connect on the Realm Sphere in a dedicated conference space in our online community. Realmmakers 2022 is an amazing value because this year, Every attendee gets access to replays of every class available through the Realm Sphere. No matter how you attend, if you have a manuscript you want to pitch to our participating agents and editors, you will be able to do so. See the show notes for the registration link for Realm Makers 2022. 
I also need to mention that, of course, Lorehaven will be there. We'll have a booth in the vendor hall, as always. You can see our old uh, print issues as well as see what's coming up with us in the future and browse our library of T-shirts and all the good stuff we have to offer at uh, Lorehaven at Realm Makers 2022. From there, I hear a strange sound outside. It seems to be the roar of a juvenile Tyrannosaurus Rex, although something tells me this is not the kind that would actually threaten your life. I'm guessing this is one of those pre-fall vegetarian-only Tyrannosaurus Rexes, and I wonder who's steering that into the studio. Let's go find out. Tim Chafee has just arrived aboard the back of a juvenile Tyrannosaurus Rex. He is the content manager for the attractions division of Answers in Genesis. An apologist with a passion for training young people, Tim speaks regularly at the Creation Museum, camps, schools, and churches, and has authored numerous nonfiction and fiction books, including the Remnant Trilogy and the Truth Chronicles. You can follow his website at Risen Ministries and his Facebook author page. Links in the show notes. Tim, great to have you back in the Fantastical Truth Studios. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Thank you. Hey, welcome back, Tim. So if anybody's hungry, let's start with a few concessions about why we're talking about resurrection today, obviously, because we just had Resurrection Sunday, uh, but also uh, what we won't be talking about, just setting the table here with a few sweet, hot concessions. Uh, Tim, of course, works at the Ark Encounter from Answers in Genesis, and we're going to mention that in just a little bit. Uh, yet this episode will focus not so much on the creation or apologetics issue, but on resurrection, which also has a lot of apologetics needs there. But I think both of those issues are crucial for Christians to understand. Uh, we'll mostly be delighting, though, in this miracle, just uh, looking back on Christ's resurrection and what it means for us today and what it will mean for us in the future. Christians, of course, can differ on their views of creation and resurrection. Uh, we talked about that a little bit in our last episode with Tim Chafee. Uh, people who differ on that can still be Christian, but we will contend here that viewing these issues in more biblical light will really help to deepen not just your understanding of God at the head level, but your delight in Jesus at the heart level. Uh, these themes, I would say, also have special meaning for Lorehaven fans. They help us better see our need for Christ's exalting imagination. Not just the fact that, you know, we could use it uh, in our spare time, uh, creating stories, enjoying stories. But if you understand the reason why God created us to glorify him forever and the reason why he is going to raise us to eternal life with him, we know why we need God-exalting imagination. Anybody else have any uh, concessions they brought in for this uh, particular concession stand potluck after Easter Sunday? Well, Stephen, I just want to know, what, what do you mean by different resurrection views? Obviously, with creation, there's old earth, young earth. But are you talking about Jesus' resurrection or our oh, resurrection? Yeah. Well, you have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You yeah. absolutely have to. I guess when I wrote that, I was thinking more of the haunting suspicion that when Jesus rose from the grave, his resurrection was somehow sub-physical. You know, the old cliche of the Bible movies in the 50s and 60s where his feet were kind of hovering over the ground. And then when he ascended to the Father, he kind of dissolved into a cloud of sparkles and returned to his spiritoid state. Like, no, Christ is resurrected. He is physical. He carries those scars to this day. I don't know how you handle digestion and breathing and all those things now, but he is both God and man to this day. And I think if Christians maybe don't quite grasp that if it makes them uncomfortable to think about it i mean you can still be a christian i'm, I'm not going to be arrogant and say oh we, only we grasp the reality of resurrection but i think it will help to understand the meaning why god has given us a material world to live in uh, forever once uh, jesus comes back to reign on earth no i think that's an important point uh, you know paul makes it very clear in first corinthians 15 that you know if christ hasn't been raised and our faith is futile we're still in our sins uh, but uh, Stephen, what you said is it doesn't mean that everybody has to understand 
the nature of Christ's resurrection body in the exact same way in order to be saved, even though the, there is one correct view, the, and I think the Bible is very clear on this, but there are some people who maybe don't quite grasp that, that are, you know, God is gracious. He doesn't demand a theology, you know, a, a complex theology quiz before you're saved. Otherwise, I'm going to be pretty lonely in the afterlife because most of the other people aren't making it. No, I'm kidding. Oh, exactly. <laughs> uh, Tim, I think you brought another concession we were talking about earlier, correct? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that I work at Answers in Genesis and uh, just uh, I'm content manager for the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum. Love what I get to do uh, writing the exhibits. Uh, but because of the nature of this topic, I mean, yes, we stand firmly as part of our statement of faith that everybody has to agree that Christ rose from the dead um, and that he's going to return. But as a ministry, we don't take an official position on various end times positions, you know, the different millennial views or rapture views. And so uh, some of the things that we might get into today uh, would reflect my own view rather than that of the ministry if we get it, if something we say touches on those topics. Yeah, that's a great concession. Uh, the views expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of this station <laughs> or its management. <laughs> well, and I've wondered about this too, of when Jesus returns, uh, does everyone come back to life all at once? Uh, or is there a period where some people do and some don't, and then it's later? You know, and Again, there's some debate about that, but what's not in debate is that we will come back to life, like that we will have bodies, that we are you know, we're not going to be spiritoids, like Stephen said. But I, I think in terms of the nature of the resurrection, it's kind of simple the way it's presented in the Bible. Jesus said to Thomas, look, touch my hands and feel the scars. I'm, I'm not a ghost. Like he, he directly confronted that idea that he was just like a, a you know, a, a force ghost, like in Star Wars or something that he, he was tangible material. And then he ate fish on a beach with the campfire. He could eat food. It, it wasn't, again, it wasn't like a mirage or something. Yeah, actually what he did, if you look at the post-resurrection appearances, he, he eats food, he drinks something, he walks with them and talks with them, he teaches, uh, he, he tells Thomas, yeah, you can touch me. It never said Thomas did touch him, you know, when Thomas said he, was, he wanted to, but all the text tells us when that, I guess it's true. Uh, when Jesus offered that, he said, you know, my Lord and my God, which is the right response to Jesus, that's who he is. And if he happened to be a fourth ghost, the... The only way that could work is if it was from episodes four, five, and six, because <laughs> he wouldn't have been a force ghost in any of the other ones, especially the later ones. <laughs> We've mentioned the uh, the ascension a few times, uh, which reminds me that uh, without Christ's intervention, man has tried a, uh, multiple techniques to try to lift himself into the heavens, including, oh, for example, Genesis 11, uh, the narrative of the Tower of Babel, uh, which, of course, uh, answers in Genesis has been in the news a bit over the last uh, year or so, uh, because you all are actually building a Tower of Babel-themed display. Uh, Tim, uh, just this past week before we released this episode, uh, the Tower of uh, Babel got a little bit more airtime uh, thanks to an article in The Atlantic, uh, which almost, almost seemed to understand the point of the, or one of the points of the Tower of Babel narrative. It was comparing the Babel narrative to the rise of social media and the fact that humans will often think that they've got this perfect technological innovation that will unite us all and we'll all have one language and one purpose. And then uh, in the Tower of Babel, God literally comes to earth and confuses the language of mankind, sending them out across the planet like they're supposed to be, being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and rather than sitting in one plane of Shinar, uh, raising their fist up to God, saying that they can be just like him. Uh, he almost 
almost got the meaning there, but of course he kind of turned aside into, you know, a very secular response. Well, you know, social media is kind of like Tower of Babel. So we need better laws. We need to control ourselves. Like that's, uh, that's not quite the nuance there of, uh, the Tower of Babel narrative, uh, to say nothing of the, um, the, the racial issue connotations, the fact that we're all one person, we all have one blood, uh, and that we've simply been distributed across the earth from that central point in Genesis 11. Um, any updates about the the Tower of Babel attraction that you're able to share that the creators at AIG are working on? Yeah, well, to build on what you just said, one, I guess one way that social media is like that is you see human pride uh, coming through very clearly. Oh, yes. Uh, and that's really what's going on at Babel is refusing to do what God had said. And uh, pridefully, they said, Let, let's make a name for ourselves. And if you look at the what's going on in the in the context there, look at the next chapter in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham, he says, hey, Abram, go to a land that I'm going to show you, and I will make your name great. So man tries to exalt himself, and God humbles him. If man humbles himself, God exalts him. And uh, that's what we see throughout Scripture. Uh, but as far as the the attraction that, our, that we're planning on building, uh, still very early in the planning stages. Uh, we've announced that we're doing that. We haven't uh, done anything in terms of official fundraising yet. Uh, we've done a, a research trip looking at some uh, different dark rides, which I know that doesn't sound like research for some people. Hey, go down to Universal Studios and Disney and check out all the different dark rides. Oh, that sounds like, like one of those missionary kind of vacations. <laughs> yeah, you get to go on the Hagrid motorbike and uh, the Space Mountain and all of those. Well, Tower I didn't of Terror. Do, yeah, I didn't Tower do any of the. I didn't do any of the roller coaster things. I'm, my the the other guys on the team did, but I'm afraid of those. I I don't know. Yeah. Being really tall, I don't. No, I'm just afraid. I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm scared of Literally might bump your head on the girders at Space Mountain. I Last time I rode, it was years yeah. ago, but I kept feeling like I had to duck on that thing. I thought mm-hmm. my arms were going to get ripped off. Yeah, I'm also very tall, and uh, I, and I, I'm not afraid of heights. I actually love heights, but I get uh, car sick very easily. And so the loop-de-loop things, like, I just can't even do those. Like, yeah, I don't do those. But the dark rides were a lot of fun, and it, it helps us understand, you know, what what capability we might be able to do uh, with with this. So what we want to do is teach you know, the, of course, the biblical narrative, here's what's happening uh, in Genesis 11, but also show people why that event is important, how we can use that to explain uh, the various people groups that we see around the world today and, and help shape our worldview and understanding that we, we really truly are one uh, human race. And um, so from a biblical perspective, there's no, there's no basis for racism. Uh, we yeah. should be treating every Amen. single person with dignity and respect as people who are made in the image of God, because that's who they are. We should be treating people the way Christ has commanded us to do it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself, love one another, love your enemy. I think that kind of covers everybody. So, <laughs> Well, that's, you know, you're referencing one of my favorite passages in the whole New Testament where Paul uh, speaks in Athens and says, from one man, he's made every nation of men and determined the times and places set for them. So he's, he's determined our, our skin color, our zip code and our birthday uh, all at once. And, uh, but he's made us all from that the the initial couple, and so we we are all the same human race. Um, hey, speaking of uh, what what's in the news and in the arc, I was just listening to uh, the the Tim Cast podcast last night. Tim Pool, him, and one of his uh, contributors, uh, Ian Crossland. As far as I know, both these guys not Christians, but they had an interesting discussion last night about the arc. Uh, one of their show sponsors is some kind of like survival food company, and they they were being made fun of and. Some I don't know if it was the Atlantic or New York Times, but some kind of major newspaper is sort of making fun of them that, oh, they're they're hawking all these you know survivalist supplies, and they're like, first of all, we're not even remotely close to actual survivalists. We're not even close to that. We're just selling like emergency food supplies or whatever. 
uh, and this was the interesting part. They're like, second of all, wasn't Noah being laughed at while he was building the ark? Ooh. Doesn't this all kind of rhyme with history in that we're just trying to save some extra food for, you know, if there's food shortages or inflation or a rainy day. And, uh, and Hey, <laughs> we're the ones being made fun of here. I'm like, Hey, you're almost there. Like you're almost in the kingdom. Like Paul says, like, yeah. <laughs> you're so close. Uh, but then it was really funny when, when they turned this around and said, Hey, isn't the secular media, the one that's driving the climate panic. And like, we only have, you know, three months or six months or two years until the oceans swallow all of us. Yeah. I think it's 10 years now. Yeah. I say, I, I like the old days when you had a rapture prediction, like it's going to be in 1988 yeah. or Harold camping. It's going to be in 2011. Uh-huh. Well, no, he returned spiritually. No, you know, 2012 was Harold camping. Yeah, it, was it, was be, yeah. it was supposed to be on my birthday, 2012. Oh, so I wow. remember that one. Okay. Yeah. 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 By the way, I'd love to see the Roland Emmerich take on the Ark Encounter. It turns oh, out yeah. that it's actually a secret Ark uh, for real all I, along. I, didn't, I think he already did that, the film 2012. Didn't they have like That's three right. or four arcs at the end? Yeah. That's yeah, right. They, That's they right. built Just underground bunkers in China. Of the Bible. John Q- yes. I think John Cusack yeah. got on an Ark. So that's good. At least he made he it. He did. And I think the X got squashed by a gear shaft or something. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> yep. pretty epic. Well, so as, as previously discussed, we're not doing end times panning on this show. That was just the prelude, folks. Uh, we are talking about what happens after the end times, the best part, uh, which is the moment when Christ will resurrect physically and forever all of those who have trusted in him exclusively. But in order to talk about that glorious promise of the future, we're going to hearken back to the event we just celebrated again as Christians, most Christians anyway, uh, especially in uh, the United States, who celebrated Resurrection Sunday, uh, just this past Sunday, if you're listening to this episode on release day. Let's move into chapter one of this episode. How does the Bible describe Jesus rising from the dead? I don't know if we'll read the entire text now. Uh, every one of the Gospels has it, uh, variants on the same theme. All the details can be harmonized as to who got there when and when the apostles saw Jesus, when the women got there, how many angels, all that stuff. Uh, Tim, I don't know. We want to get too much into that, but I'm curious about your thoughts on on all of those uh, narrative inconsistencies that are somehow pointed out. But what I noticed in uh, rereading it, uh, going back and, and looking forward to this uh, this Resurrection Sunday, I noticed just kind of an obvious fact that the actual event of the resurrection is actually off screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it always, you know, I'm I'm reading the Bible with a you know a little bit of a visual emphasis, you know, trying to analyze the words, but also use my imagination. And I just noted the very human emphasis of catching up to the event after it happens. It's kind of obvious, but if it was fiction, you'd think that the fiction author would want to actually go inside the tomb and mention, you know, the energy burning from the dead body and, you know, blasting out the stone and, you know, special effects stuff. The kinds of things that I would love to see in a movie about the resurrection, you know, Mel Gibson, I don't know if you can arrange this if you ever get to it, but even Risen, uh, the movie that we all enjoy, had caught up to the resurrection uh, afterwards. You see the stone uh, outside, uh, you see the results of whatever happened, but then you slowly got to put the pieces together. Uh, you don't get the immediate picture of what happened when, when Jesus actively returns to life and takes his, his breath again. And in fact, some Christian art doesn't even go into that as much. I think a notable exception is the really awesome uh, Andrew Peterson song, His Heartbeats which in terms of its style and its substance kind of just musically takes you into the tomb and follows what it may have been like just to imagine uh, how Jesus returned to life. And I think whether you stay outside and discover it afterwards or imagine going in when the moment happens, 
I think the first response that I have is, is just wonder what would it have been like to see uh, our Lord return to life, uh, especially in such a mess that they left his body. Uh, yeah, I think you make a great point uh, that the, the biblical writers don't pretend to have been there when it was going on. Because as you mentioned, if, some, if these guys were making it up as skeptics often allege, well, you know, what better way to do it than to have an eyewitness seeing it happen? And yet you don't have that in scripture. You have uh, the, the, the disciples themselves not even believing it at first, which, you know, if that, that's not great for their credibility. I mean, if they want to pretend to be these really loyal followers, why, why are they in denial at first? And, and we often think of Thomas as the, you know, doubting Thomas because he said, I'm not going to believe until I see the nail scars. Well, that's the same thing everybody else said when Mary Magdalene came back and said that he rose. They didn't believe him, believe her either. So Thomas really wasn't any worse than the rest of them in that sense. But yeah, as far as the resurrection appearances or post-resurrection appearances, you can there it's pretty easy to reconcile them as long as you understand a few if you make a few very reasonable inferences from the text. And that is that the women left early in the morning while it was still dark from Bethany and that most of the disciples are probably staying in Bethany other than Peter and John, uh, which they're the two that followed the proceedings. They're somewhere else. And then when the women get to the tomb, they see the doors, the, the stone is rolled away. Mary Magdalene and maybe one other woman go and tell Peter and John while the others head back to Bethany. And Jesus appears to Mary first once they go back to the tomb and then to the other women. And then all of the rest of that falls into place. So as long as you understand those details and you understand that Luke is telescoping, you know, Luke 24, if you just read it straight through, it seems like all of that's happening on the same day because he doesn't say, you know, then a few weeks later, then this happened. He just, he just reports it all. But Luke knows this is happening over 40 days because he's the one that tells us that in Acts 1-3. You know, he, Luke's the author of the book of Acts, and he tells us that Jesus appeared over the next 40 days. He said, by many infallible proofs demonstrating that he had risen from the dead. Yeah, Tim, I'm curious uh, what led to your personal interest in the resurrection so much uh, that you have a group that you run called uh, Risen Ministries. I mean, obviously, along with doing Ark Encounter creative work and, you know, Tower of Babel and Creation Museum stuff, you have a very personal interest in resurrection apologetics. Uh, what, what does this mean to you personally? Yeah, in fact, it's my, it's my favorite topic to talk about. Uh, there's nothing close. In fact, I'll be at the Ark Encounter. To, uh, well, actually, I've been speaking at the Ark Encounter multiple times on the resurrection, and uh, I get to do that every year, which I love to do. Um, it's, it's our victory. It's um, it's the guarantee of what is to come. It is uh, knowing that this life is not the end. Knowing that um, the this mortal body will one day put on immortality. This corruptible will one day put on incorruptibility. And and my favorite, I, and I get choked up thinking about it. Is First Corinthians fifteen twenty six. Someday death is gonna die, and I cannot wait till death dies. It'll be no more. So that's all because what Christ did. And I th one thing that where I really started to uh, dive into this before I wrote my book on the resurrection, which is in defense of Easter, I noticed that a lot of Christians forget it. They, when they're sharing the gospel, they'll talk about what Jesus did on the cross and they'll talk about how we are separated from God because of our sin. And, and praise God that there's Christians who are still doing that because we know there's a lot of, a lot of people who are claiming to be believers who won't even do that. But then they leave it at that, and they don't mention what happened three days later. They don't mention the the flip side of that coin. It's not the gospel message in First Corinthians fifteen. Paul says is that Christ died 
you know, for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. It's not just the crucifixion; it's the the crucifixion and the resurrection. Plus the resurrection, yeah. yeah. And one way I put it uh, to try to explain it to people is, if you think about the greatest human desire throughout history, what is the one thing that humanity has sought to do uh, since the fall, really? And it's to find a way to cheat death, a way to live forever. And the one thing that we need more than anything else is to be forgiven by our holy creator. So our greatest desire, our greatest need, you have it right there in the crucifixion and the resurrection. Tim, I'm just wondering, is there anything in your life that has made the resurrection just extra important or just just a really sweet promise for you? Tell you kind of my thing is that uh, my grandfather was sort of my father figure growing up for most of my life. But uh, unfortunately, he passed away uh, 20 years ago this year, uh, right as I was uh, fixing to graduate college. I was a pretty young Christian at the time, just a few years uh, into the Christian faith. But the the promise of the resurrection really got a hold of me then. And I, I remember I, I spoke at his funeral and just these words came to me and I said, you know, I'm not saying goodbye, Pops. I'm saying I'll see you soon. And uh, and I remember that like several people came up and talked to me afterwards. They're like, that meant a lot to me. I'm like, you know, that's the hope of the resurrection, right? It's not over. We will live with Christ. Like we're not just going to see him and, you know, we're not going to just see each other. We're going to live together. And so it, it's not, it's just a pause on that relationship. So I'm wondering if there's anything like that in your life that, that's made, that's given you this emphasis. Yeah. Let, um, let me go back one year ago and it, it started way before that, but I, my, my dad has always been my hero and, um, and he's, he's still around, but a year ago on the night at 11 o'clock at night, right before Easter Sunday morning, he had a stroke and oh, wow. had to go to the hospital, you know, bleeding on the brain. And, you know, we, di- we didn't know if he was going to survive that. And, you know, he still has some vision problems, but um, uh, that's, a, for the most part, that's the extent of it, other than some you know, soreness where they had to cut him open and everything. But, um, but people kept saying to me, you know, oh, I'm so sorry that had to ha- that happened on Easter. I said, why? That's the best time it could ever, if it's going to happen, why not on the day that we're reminded that this is not the end that, the, wow. that uh, we're going to, that's very uh, poetic. Yeah. I've and you know, my, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, obviously my passion for the resurrection started long before that. And I don't know that there was one event that, that did it for me because I remember even as a very young uh, boy going to church, you know, maybe when I'm six years old, seven years old, I would always look up on the, the board that had the hymn numbers that you're going to sing that day. And I think our hymnal, it was 163. My favorite one as a kid was he lives. Mm. And I, even though I'm not, I look back at it now and I don't think that, that the theology necessarily. He the, lives the, within the, my heart. Well, he does in a sense. He I does. Mean, you know what That's that means, true. But, but um, and he there. walks yeah. with the, he walks with me and talks with me. Well, I mean, it's not a, a physical, like he said, I'm not having these visions or anything, but just this, that whole idea of, that was my favorite song as a kid was a song about the resurrection. And I've always been uh, fascinated by it. I think, I, I think that I've just had this longing for the suffering in this world to end. And I know that someday it's going to, uh, because of what Jesus had done. It's not through, it's not going to be through human effort. It's not going to be through all the things we can do. I mean, we can alleviate suffering to some degree. We can play a role in that and, and we should. Um, but ultimately I don't think that humans are, I I don't think we're going to be doing that. I think one day Christ will return and take care of that. I think part of my longing for resurrection uh, was actually uh, endorsed by some of the earlier uh, Answers in Genesis materials. Uh, 
Ken Ham, uh, in part, had written a book called A.S. for Adam, and that, along with the more grown-up uh, resources, would constantly endorse not just creation, you know, literal creation by God in six literal days, uh, but also the consummation, you know, the multiple stages of human history, and you cannot understand the consummation without properly understanding creation and vice versa. One of the arguments uh, that they would frequently speak about, and I think to this day uh, still maintain, uh, is that you cannot rationally expect a world made free of sin, a restoration, uh, if you don't understand that our world was originally made without sin, uh, without suffering and diseased bones and you know, all these fossils underneath uh, the drawing of uh, the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are saying, yes, God just made this very good. And then you see these billions of dead things buried in rock layers <laughs> underneath them. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. I know there's different Christian beliefs on that, but it helped me to not only think about those things, but imagine that. And then uh, I think in our last episode, we mentioned uh, in that book, there was a little Dodo bird character in the book, uh, which uh, strongly implied uh, that even though Dodo birds went extinct, uh, they could return uh, when King Jesus returns to make all things new and the new heavens and new earth. And we'll get to that in a moment. We've alluded to the fact that some Christians will miss the reality of Christ's resurrection in, in, in a few ways I'll get to in a moment. Uh, but Tim, it just occurred to me, I'm wondering if you have any quick thoughts on kind of the apologetics line that you hear uh, from some notable Christian leaders who I'm sure mean very well, but it, they will often say something like, well, apart from the resurrection, nothing else matters. If Jesus has come to life, then we don't need to talk about all those other things, including sometimes they will say whether creation is true or whether or not the flood was global. Like any thoughts on maybe uh, resurrection minimalism here? Yeah, I would say my approach would be more resurrection primacy. That I think that's the you know our primary goal when we're doing uh, when resurrection. But really, I maybe that's not the best way to say it. I think whatever the person is struggling with, that's primary when you're when you're discussing things with them. But one of the things I'll do with skeptics, is, you know, especially where I work, we get a lot of people who are attacking cre the creation account or the flood account, and what I'll try to do when you know, after I've answered a couple of questions, it becomes very clear that they're not really looking for an answer. They just want to attack. I will take them right to the cross and to the empty tomb and tell them, you got to deal with this. You can you can argue all day long about this other stuff if you want to, but really the, the crux of the issue, pardon the pun, is the crucifixion mm -hmm. and the resurrection. And um, you've, you've got to decide what are you going to do with Jesus Christ. And um, if you want to keep arguing the other stuff, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions, but Really, this is where you've got to go with it. So I don't, I don't agree with a resurrection minimalism. I, I think that if you have somebody who is uh, genuinely struggling to understand how how can the Bible be true because of what it says in in Genesis, and and I've been taught my whole life this evolutionary narrative, then help them understand, you know, how Genesis is true and how it how what we find uh, historically, what we find scientifically, uh, actually matches that. We don't have to distort scripture to to match that uh, but ultimately we do want to make sure we get people to the cross and the empty tomb because if i'm able to convince an atheist that they should become a theist through you know creation arguments or something but they don't know the creator himself i haven't done my job and our goal is to proclaim the gospel that's the power of god and the salvation as paul said the thing i always think about is that creation itself witnesses to god's existence and also the internal moral law, our own regrets 
our own sense of justice. It, it witnesses to there being a moral lawgiver, and that we we all have a sense of accountability to that. But you know, Romans one talks about we suppress that, and so that's really, in my opinion, the thing that has to be dealt with first, or sort of confronted with a lot of people, is that. Like you said, a lot of people just want to attack because they don't want to face that reality. They don't want to face the idea of judgment. Sometimes there are people that are just honestly asking, well, how, how does this work with what I've learned in science? I'll, I'll never forget this um, student from China I met uh, a, a long time ago. And he said, you know, my whole entire life, I've grown up with the kind of the materialist view of Marxism. Each year of my life, it was like the floor of a building being built. And now there's this building just towering over me saying this is how the world is. But he's like, but what I'm learning from the Bible is just kind of like it, it's, that building is crumbling just little by little now. And, you know, and, it, and that's how it is. It is a process with people. But I think scripture is the ultimate thing that convinces people. And then a lot of these other issues, I think, kind of fall into place. But uh, yes, you, you have to take them to the cross because what are you going to do about your sin, dear skeptic friend? And I mean that sincerely, like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, are you going to live with those regrets and those, you know, those grievances, or are you going to take that to the cross and then, and then find, you know, new life in the, in the uh, empty tomb? So I think those hard issues have to be dealt with. I wouldn't even say I'm a minimalist or a, or a primacy or I don't know, primacist, but I would say that the cross and the, the tomb are the, they're the main door. That's the starting point. You have to deal with that first before the other things uh, can really be understood. Yeah, the way we talk about it here sometimes at um, at Answers in Genesis is that there are a lot of times there are stumbling blocks in the way, and that's kind of what apologetics can do is is to remove some of those stumbling blocks so that people can can see the cross in the empty tomb. And uh, what happens so often is we'll just people will get we have the tendency, especially as apologists, sometimes we we tend to focus on those stumbling blocks because we want to have the answers and and you know, this is where we, there's a danger is the more that you study, you know, knowledge puffs up. And if you, if you know a lot of things, you can win some arguments and you, you start to focus on doing those things for the sake of doing those things. And I always think of, you know, what Jesus said to the, what the church at Ephesus in Revelation, that you've lost your first love, even though these ones, these people are doing the right things. And he commended them for doing a lot of, a lot of the right things. But he said the one thing he had against them is they had lost their first love. And I think that's a, ten, a danger that apologists can run into is that doing the right thing, not for the right reason. You know, they maybe lose sight of why they're doing it because it, and I'm not, I don't have anybody in mind. That's just the, my own warning that I always try to go back to. I, I try to keep that in my mind. To, that it really is ultimately about, about the gospel of Christ and not about whether or not I can outsmart somebody or, have more answers than them. Oh, I've, I've totally dealt with it myself. I have an engineering background, so I approach this very much like a, you know, a physics problem or a math, uh, math problem to solve. And it's like, people don't work that way. You know, really no one makes completely logical decisions. There's all kinds of factors that go into why someone uh, believes or doesn't believe or listens or doesn't listen. And it's not simply like, fact-based <laughs> no in so fact many... most of the time it's not fact-based most right. of the time it's heart oh, yeah. issue or yeah. emotion based there, there's somebody something in their past has burned them you know some way the church has hurt them and they a lot of times that's what it comes down to 
Exactly. And one could even call that the church back home syndrome. Hey, what? (laughs) (laughs) Now, in the past, uh, everybody, uh, some have uh, ignored or missed the reality of Christ's resurrection by uh, overtly denying it. It's kind of the the old, uh, the mainline uh, liberal theologian uh, type thing where you just believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher, but men don't really come back to life. And every miracle has a naturalistic explanation. I'm guessing there's still uh, folks like that around if, if people dare to think about the issue at all. But I think increasingly what we run into, at least among uh, Christians, Tim, you mentioned earlier, is people, for example, who will uh, stumble into evangelizing about uh, Christ's death on the cross and his uh, forgiveness of sins or his offer to you know, help heal you from being a broken person. Not so much emphasis on repentance there, uh, but someone will either skip over uh, the resurrection uh, or act like uh, the resurrection is, is all that matters. Well, Jesus, this person you've never heard of uh, beyond maybe some shallow pictures you got from popular evangelical culture, like Jesus is alive. What are you going to do about it? Uh, And we don't flesh out for ourselves or for others, just by accident. We don't flesh out, pun unintended, another unintended pun. We don't flesh out what Christ's resurrection and kingship today means. He is not only the risen savior, but he's also the risen Lord and he is ruling now. And eventually he will come back and fully realize uh, his kingship on the new heavens and new earth. Effectively, we live as if Jesus is dead, even though we know he's not. Uh, it's just something that I think Christians can fall into if we're not careful. Uh, the only other way that I've seen, at least uh, uh, certainly among you know s- some people I read uh, and some have met, uh, is that we may believe that Jesus is risen. We would certainly affirm that, that we are certainly Christians and we're not lesser Christians because of this, but we might uh, overlook the reality that of what I mentioned earlier, that Christ will return. He is alive to this day, fully God and fully man, that he will return to earth and he will claim his kingdom. He must reign until he puts everything under his feet. Uh, We also maybe ignore the reality that we will be raised, as y'all were mentioning earlier, physically, just as Jesus is raised. Obviously, he's the son of God. He's going to have certain divine prerogatives, like we actually see uh, at the end of the gospels, where he seems to be uh, apparating from place to place. He can get into a room with a locked door. Uh, he can be in one place and then another. You know, he's, he's performing some kind of, you know, superpowers, if you'll pardon the phrase, that we don't know whether we will be able to do as risen saints. But in one way, we will be raised as he is. That is what the apostles promise. Uh, and yet sometimes I think uh, Christians aren't thinking about that because we're thinking about you know, going to heaven and staying there and never returning to earth to reign as kings and queens underneath Jesus as the capital K king. Yeah, I think it is something that we overlook. You know, John talks about in First John 3 that when we see him, we will be like him. You know, when he returns, we're going to be transformed. We'll be like him. Paul spent a lot of time in First Corinthians 15 addressing that or dealing with that. Even in Romans 8, Paul deals with that, how the whole world is groaning in, in pain because of because of the curse because of the fall and all of the sin and corruption and it's longing for the revealing of the sons of god is what i'm talking about when that adoption is finalized when we are made like him and our bodies are transformed and the way paul puts it in first corinthians 15 when that corruptible puts on incorruptibility when that mortality puts on immortality and then uh, death is swallowed up in victory and that's when there is no more death, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. It is really something to look forward to. But I think what we've done, and maybe I'll step on some some toes here or virtual toes or however that would be. Here, I'll take my shoes through. off. You can step on mine first <laughs> if you need to. I think what we've done is we we look at you know what happens to a believer today if they pass away. They 
you know, absent from the body, present with the Lord, they go to heaven, they're with the Lord, but their body is still here. So what we tend to do is we look at the end of the book of Revelation and you see the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and new earth and people think, oh, that's a picture of heaven. No, 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 that's not the same place that the people would go to right now. And I know there's different eschatological views that I've, I probably just upset some people, but if you look even in the book of Revelation, I know people have a lot of different interpretations. The place that is that seems to be heaven now in the earlier chapters of the book, there's a sea there, there's a temple there. In 21 and 22, there is no sea, there is no temple. It's a new heavens and a new earth because the former heavens have passed away, is what it says. So this is something new, and we're going to have glorified physical bodies, which would require a physical place for us to dwell in. And I think what we've done is we look at the the place where people go now, and we think of that as like a, you know, almost like an ethereal realm. And, and we've given off this, we've given this impression that heaven is this place where you're going to exist like a spiritual entity. And all you do 24 um, seven is sing songs all day long and bow down all day long. And I don't think that's the picture scripture gives us. I, I think it's going to be far better than that. Uh, but I think that we almost do a disservice to evangelism by making if I can call it heaven, I would say the new Jerusalem, making it sound boring. Why would an unbeliever think that that sounds anything spectacular? Um, yeah, it beats the alternative from a biblical perspective. Um, certainly better to be uh, like a, a spirit floating on the clouds, like you see in the far side cartoons, than it is to be you know in torment in the flame. But that's not the way the Bible de- describes the eternal state. It is something that is tangible. It is, uh, it's new. It's something that, um, that there, nothing corruptible can ever enter. And uh, yeah, so I think if you look at the, yeah. the Stephen, you were talking about it earlier, the, the connection between the original creation and the new heaven and new earth, you've got that idea of the tree of life there at the beginning. You've got it at the end as well in Revelation 21 and 22. You've, so this new creation it's going to be a perfect world that, that, that Christ is going to, to bring. Yeah. I, I think this question of why do people miss the reality of resurrection is, is because of this other question. It's because they're missing, why do they miss the reality of Jesus resurrection? You know, in, in the, the fact that it's a bodily resurrection, that, that is that word, that additional word makes a gigantic difference, you know, uh, because Jesus isn't just a spirit floating around and we're going to become spirits like him and go to the spiritual, non-physical place. But, um, you know, th- this, is, this was really summed up in sort of a foolish way in a, a tweet that went viral the other day that um, I found out about through uh, Samuel Say, who's uh, at Slow to Write on Twitter. And he quoted this person who, I'm not going to quote this whole thing, but he quoted this person who said, uh, if if Jesus were alive today, yeah, and I'm just Bark. like, stop right there. Just, <laughs> right. And, and everything after that was worse. Do was you worse, even Bible? But... Do you even Jesus? He is alive today. That's kind of a basic idea about Jesus that we should yes. have. Well, and it, you know, the rest of the tweet, again, it doesn't really matter, but it follows the usual. It's all downhill that, from there. Yeah. That, that if, if Jesus was here, you know, he would he would believe in my cause. You know, he would support my identity or whatever. He'd support my group. But that first part is so bad. Like, if Jesus were... He is alive today. It's not if he were alive today. He is alive. He's told us what he thinks about things. He is and risen. He is he's risen, risen indeed. indeed. And he's, he's, he's ruling now. Like he's ruling through the church and, you know, he does have all authority in heaven and earth, but 
yes, he's he's a part of the he's the head of the church. Like he is active. He's not just again, he's not just some spirit that that flew away. And yes, he rose, he ascended, and he is sitting at the right hand of God, but he's still like he sent the Holy Spirit. He is he is active, you know, and he's, he's not just continually interceding for us yes, you know, before he's the working. Father. That's Hebrews Hebrews is all about his role as our great high priest. And yeah, so he has to be alive in order to do that. And yeah, I, I think you're right that people miss that point. And if, and if I can go back to the other thing I, I mentioned before, and you know, again, people know I, you've mentioned I work at Answers in Genesis, but this is one point I like to, to hit. If if Adam's sin, you know, you talk about there there are different views of creation, and yes, you can be saved if you don't, even if you don't agree with my view, which I think is the I believe is the biblical one. But if Adam's sin didn't bring physical death into this world, you know, if there if there really were millions of years of death, suffering, and disease going on, and Adam's sin didn't bring physical death, then how come the solution to sin is the physical death of the Son of God and the mm. physical bodily resurrection? So yes, people can be saved without believing the first part. But they have an inconsistent message. And when you understand that the Bible talks about a, a real first Adam who committed a real act of sin of rebellion against our holy creator and brought real physical death into this world, then you understand why the gospel makes sense that the last Adam, Jesus Christ, comes down to restore what the first Adam wrecked. And, and he's done that to some degree already through the crucifixion and resurrection. And ultimately when he brings a new heaven and new earth that, that will be completed. Tim, you mentioned the far side portrayal, uh, which yeah. is the, uh, the, the famous uh, distillation of this mythical, boring, supposedly Christian heaven of this guy sitting on the cloud. And he just has the speech bubble coming out or thought bubble coming out and says, wish I'd brought a magazine. Uh, mm-hmm. Heaven is going to be boring as this constant trope uh, that Christians are fighting, not just out there in the world, uh, but within ourselves uh, and and within churches. And that's not to say, you know, the church done got it wrong and we're here to set everybody straight. Uh, it's to to come back and say, look, this is actually a biblical truth. This is not a newfangled notion. Uh, this isn't some cult thing. This is a biblical truth about the physical restoration, the new heavens and new earth uh, that we accidentally overlook. Uh, and it brings joy. It brings expectation. And it may even bring more comfort when a loved one dies or is at risk of dying, as you were mentioning earlier, Tim. I refer a lot to Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, which helped to set me straight on a lot of this, which, you know, the title is uh, is a, um, a bit of service for the readers because the book is more about the new earth to come than the intermediate heaven, as he calls it, that exists now, which is still better than you know, than being on earth, but you're still looking forward to something. You're still looking forward to the restoration of all things. And I always appreciated Randy Alcorn's um, little theory about why Christians just neglect some of the more physical uh, details of the new heavens and new earth. Uh, His theory is simply that when you get to the end times classes in seminary and you're going through Daniel and Revelation and all of that, you get so bogged down uh, in the end times charts and the theories about all ah, this and post that and pre something or other. And then maybe you have half an hour at the very end of class before the semester lets out uh, to talk about Revelation 21 through 22. And that time limitation at the more Bible college or seminary level, uh, combined with the fact that we have so many memes floating around about heaven, uh, including the phrase time shall be no more, which I heard an evangelical <laughs> leader repeat as if it's a biblical promise. It is not time without end time. Yeah, it, it's, it's time without end. And, and the, the phrase time shall be no more is from, I think a gospel song, 
Uh, it doesn't make it unbiblical, but the scripture does not actually say that time shall be no more. So uh, you can say then that Christ is making intercession maybe 24-7 right now. I don't know how that works, but there's going to be time in the new heavens and new earth because we as human beings in our bodies are necessarily limited to those dimensions. God likes matter. He invented it. He likes the way that he has set up his universe. He's not going to purge it all because the devil somehow managed to corrupt uh, the very idea of time or space or any of the other dimensions. No, and I, I, a couple things. That even in the new heaven, new earth, it talks about the tree of life bearing fruit in each season. So you that got time for that. Yeah, there's time. Yeah, but uh, Alcorn also talks about. I think it's in an appendix where he talks about uh, what he calls Christo or Christoplatonism. Yes, the, that's another I, infection. I think he nails it. I, and I think I've been thinking this for a long time. So recently, when I read that book, that I thought that's what I've been putting my that's what I've been trying to put my finger on the whole time. Uh, even from the very early church, you had this influence of Greek philosophy. That's what Paul is continually pushing back on in 1 Corinthians 15. That's why he's got to spend 58 verses all about the physical bodily resurrection, <laughs> because the Greek mind hated that concept. That was abhorrent to them. And yet it still infiltrated the early church. And you get almost this Gnostic sort of thinking where the, the material realm, bad, evil, and the spiritual realm, that's the good, that's the pure. And so we have to escape that. So any any eschatological view that was somewhat physical, that tended to be pushed down and more of a spiritualizing view took over. And I, I think that's been a strong influence in the church from very early on, from maybe third or fourth century. Um, and I think Alcorn nailed that when he talked about Christoplatonism. Well, and that you know philosophy is still alive and well today through uh, the likes of uh, Gene Roddenberry and George Lucas and, and other great science fiction films and TV Luminous shows. Luminous beings that, are we, not that, this crude matter. <laughs> yeah, right. that I grew up on and I love. I mean, yes, I, you know, as much as I love these shows, I, I have to admit they teach uh, this sort of uh, non-biological, non-physical transcendence. You know, in Star Trek, uh, Wesley Crusher meets the Traveler, who uh, who is able to uh, send the ship into warp speed and also become uh, some kind of spiritual being. And then Wesley learns to do that in, in Star Wars, of course, we talk about the Force ghosts. And in uh, Stargate Universe, probably one of my favorite uh, sci-fi TV shows, it's all about recovering the technology of the ancients where they sit in this magical chair and they, they transcend into this physical form or the spiritual form, leave the physical form behind, they disappear. Um, one of the characters uh, becomes this spiritoid, and, but somehow interacts with the ship and becomes sort of like the 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 ghost in the machine or whatever that has been going on the last, I mean, for most of sci-fi, you know, and I, I, I think there is a unique danger sometimes with sci-fi and kind of swallowing that stuff. But even now the, the transhumanist movement, it is mainstreaming these ideas, the idea of the metaverse that you're just going to live in this virtual reality and, and spend all your time there. And uh, look, I've done VR stuff. It's fun, but I don't want to live there. First of all, it's like living on a roller coaster. You know, who wants to live, especially if they make you nauseated or, you know, you're, you're too tall or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but, but why would you want to live in this non-physical realm when you are a physical being? And, uh, you know, it, it's nonsensical. I understand the draw of it. I, I totally get that people are in pain. You know, they're either in physical pain, they're in emotional pain, they're in relational pain, psychological pain. And this offers a temporary escape. I mean, it's just the the supersized version of television and all the other distractions that we have, but it really is pointing us to this weird transhumanist future where we will upload our conscious to some supercomputer or something 
and download to different bodies or whatever. You know, there's a great Bruce Willis movie about this where everyone just kind of lives through these surrogate robots that are like human-like. That view has never really gone away. And yes, it, it's been around since the Greeks and, and bef- it existed before Paul. It'll exist hundreds of years from now until Jesus comes back or whenever he comes back. But um, that definitely is the view that we have to push back against. That's why I love uh, finding Christian sci-fi that doesn't fall into these traps. It, it doesn't present these competitor religions through these fantastical stories. Just going back to 1 Corinthians 15 with this, you know, Paul talks about how the body that is sown in the ground is the one that is raised. It's not a, and people get tripped up by the fact that he says that something about it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. Spiritual like, See, body, it's yeah. spiritual. No, no, no. What he's saying is it's spiritually dominated. It is. Yes. It's by the Holy was, Spirit. Like even when it says the the carnal mind, well, it's the mind that is set on carnal things. The spiritual mind is not one that is ethereal. It's one that's set on heavenly things. So this is a a a, rate, a glorified body that is not going to be corruptible. It's not going to be given to new the sinful system. things. Yeah, new. That's right, an infallible operating right. system. So I, I think that again, Paul. There's a reason he spends 58 verses on resurrection. The first half of that chapter are on Christ physical bodily resurrection and how important that is to our faith and the some of the arguments for that. And the last half is all about our future bodily resurrection. And you guys touched on it, how, yeah, people are hurting. People are longing to, to escape the flesh in the sense, you know, these bodies that break down or bodies that are ridden with, uh, with cancer, or maybe somebody who's quadriplegic, you know, there are, there's tremendous suffering in our world. So it's understandable, but the, the goal the, the biblical hope is not a escaping those bodies, but a restoration of those there bodies. You Stephen, you said it really well. God made matter, and he, in fact, he called it very good. Yeah, that, that's a C.S. Lewis quote there. I should have given the credit. God likes yeah. matter. He invented it. That's yeah, the, you know, I, C.S. Lewis, I don't like him. I know that's, you know why? Because I know Gasp. I just committed I just committed heresy on the channel, You're but here's why. First <laughs> person on Fantastical Truth oh, to wow, say that. I'm actually no, I, I, impressed I, I by hate the novelty. Him. Okay. I hate okay. him, and here's why. Because he can say in one sentence what takes me two chapters to say. Oh, it better. okay, there we go. It's That's a love not jealousy. Yes, yeah. it's not. Yeah, it's jealousy. It's envy. That is, it's just not fair. Well, it, it's also not covet the uh, wordsmithiness of, uh, <laughs> of another. Your it's, it's so interesting about, I mean, briefly on Lewis, it's interesting that he had such a incidentally resurrection-heavy view of things. I mean, not just in The Last Battle, uh, which is the most resurrection-friendly chronicle of Narnia, but even in his nonfiction. I mean, that line there, I think, is from Mere Christianity, where he is speaking directly against uh, what could be called a Christoplatonism, a Christoplatonism, however you pronounce it. And, and yet he also was so open to uh, pagan mythologies and trying to take them captive and you know, raid them for the good reflections that were in there you know, in order to make them subservient to uh, Christ, subservient to the gospel. I mean, even the ending of the last battle kind of has this, you know, it's not that Aslan transforms the world of Narnia. There's a greater reality, like an onion, except you open outward, the deeper you go. And uh, the professor at one point says, well, it's all in Plato. So Lewis there is kind of trying to appropriate the Platonic reality idea. But I've heard at least one commentary that said or hints that he would be in good company because some say uh, that uh, I believe it's in Hebrews where there's almost kind of that idea talking about uh, the true temple, you know, the, the ultimate temple or the tabernacle uh, that, is, uh, that is in heaven uh, upon which all we can have are earthly copies. So it's not that there's not wisdom in some of those uh, you know, non-Christian ideas, but 
you've got to go back to the Bible. You absolutely must go back to the scripture. And, and we've already overlapped in uh, chapter three of this discussion. How can we recover Christ's resurrection promises? Uh, Tim, you were already starting with probably the keystone scripture text about that, and that is 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, definitely read the entire book of 1 Corinthians, but focus on chapter 15 and try to clean out some of the um, uh, some of the detritus that that we have built up around terms like spiritual body. You read that with a 21st century mind and maybe having watched a lot of Casper the Friendly Ghost cartoons and you think of, you know, this kind of this hollow floaty thing and like, no, spiritual body means Holy Spirit driven body. You, you are now under, like you said, the, the Holy Spirit's uh, domain. It, you are in Christ. You're redeemed. Uh, you're not a fleshly body as in the flesh, the sinful nature. Uh, but you are now redeemed. You know, you are sanctified. That process is complete. What started spiritually has now gone physical. Uh, you're resurrected to new physical life, but just like you were resurrected to new spiritual life when you got saved. I think another text you referred to earlier is Romans 8, which is another a huge, meaningful passage. Obviously, read the whole book of Romans, but the Apostle Paul was on this theme. And you have to wonder if maybe he was one of the original enemies of the Sadducees, uh, by the way that sect that did not believe there was a resurrection. So you don't want to be a Sadducee, right? You know, even the Pharisees were a little bit better than them. But in Romans well, 8, he, Apostle, he even did that, in, he had that, did that in the debate, didn't he? He said, I, I'm he on did. trial for the resurrection of the dead. And suddenly he yeah. just let the Pharisees just, and Sadducees go yeah, at it. The Apostle Paul just <laughs> flew in this Molotov cocktail of rhetoric and just yeah. blew up the place there. You had to know that he kind of had this little troll face on there. <laughs> but but in, in Romans 8, he is trying to encourage the believers with deep, deep doctrine, uh, not just about uh, the human resurrection, but the fact that in a way the earth is destined for a, a resurrection. Uh, the whole creation, as you mentioned, Tim, is groaning just as we groan on the inside. Uh, if we are groaning with legitimate hope that we will be set free from the bondage to decay or bondage to corruption, depending on your translation, then the earth is also not groaning pointlessly. It's not that we get to escape the earth uh, and then Jesus nukes the earth from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. No, we ourselves and the earth, if you can personify the earth, are groaning with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God, the, the human beings who are going to be the stewards of a redeemed planet. Uh, that is a far greater and far more biblical promise uh, than the idea of the appropriating resurrection as an escape uh, from earth. Along with all those passages, uh, what I, I give a talk sometimes on the importance of the resurrection and how it shows up everywhere. I tell people, you know, underline, go through your New Testament, and every time you see he is risen or raised or resurrected, any anything with that sort of language, highlight it, underline it, circle, and you're going to be shocked at how colorful your Bible becomes because it is everywhere. It seems like wow. there's times in Romans where Paul can't even mention Jesus without saying whom God raised from the dead. He, just, he continually brings that up. Charles Spurgeon actually said something where he was he was studying the the he said the sad state of churches at the present time, and of course that's back in the 1850s. And so he wanted to look back at the apostles and see how they did things. And of course there's differences in where they met and all of that. And he said, but I was here's a quote. But I was surprised to find that I had not been copying the apostolic fashion half as nearly as I might have done. The apostles when they preached always testified concerning the resurrection of Jesus and the consequent resurrection of the dead. It appears that the Alpha and the Omega of their gospel was the testimony that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. And then he goes on and talks about how important it is that 
we're also going to be raised. And that's true. If you read through the book of Acts, every single sermon that is delivered by an apostle, it's always emphasizing the resurrection. That's the focal point of all of it and what that means to us. It's not just Jesus rose. It's Jesus rose. Therefore, we are going to be raised as well. And, you know, Paul talked about that in First Thessalonians about, you know, we don't mourn or grieve like those who have no hope because Christ is risen. We're also going to be raised. Amen. That's fantastic. And, and the resurrection is what changed our Sabbath ceremonies from Saturday, most Christians anyway, to Sunday, because Christ rose himself from the dead on Sunday. So even though we get one resurrection Sunday officially every year, uh, in a way, every Sunday is resurrection Sunday. And we get to meet together and celebrate a risen savior who is not floating out in space somewhere, a cloud of sparkles reduced to a spiritoid, shedding his corporeal form for a higher plane of existence but is God fully God, fully man to this day and will remain so reigning physically and forever in the new heavens and new earth. Uh, Tim, where can people find your articles, any of your materials about the resurrection? And of course, uh, follow you at the uh, Ark Encounter on social media and anywhere else. Yeah, if they go to my uh, website, which is uh, Risen Ministries, it's uh, risenmin.com. And you can find my book in defense of Easter there. Um, actually, that's also available at the answersingenesis.org website. Um, so a lot of the articles I've written would be on the Answers in Genesis website. Uh, did a whole series on the resurrection. Uh, boy, that was already nine years ago, how time flies. But uh, going through the many evidences we have and also looking at many of the alternative uh, skeptical views, trying to explain away the evidence for the resurrection. And then my book goes into a lot more detail about some of the practical implications on that doctrine. Tim, we can literally look forward to rioting juvenile T-Rexes for real. I believe on the new heavens and new earth. It's funny. It's fantastical, but I truly believe it's real. Santa isn't real, but Jesus, I believe will bring back the T-Rexes and all. These I, other I hope so. And then you and I can do like a, a jousting and it won't even hurt, you know, because there's no pain, <laughs> no suffering. So it'll be padded lances or something. I don't know, but it'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, you'll have skin <laughs> like a Kryptonian, I think is what is how that will work. And maybe you may okay. get knocked down. You may lose the match uh, because I believe competition will continue in the new heavens and new earth. But yeah, immortal forever. Thanks be to God, he has risen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Oh, thanks for having me. Great discussion, guys. I really enjoyed exploring resurrection miracles uh, with Tim. I really hope we can live in light of that miracle, not just on Sundays or on Resurrection Sunday, but every week. It's something that for me really transformed my view of stories in particular. I don't see any purpose in stories apart from the possibility that the best fantastical stories that Christians make will in some way continue in the new heavens and new earth. We've had previous episodes where I'm convinced, and Zach also is pretty sure, uh, that books will continue in the new heavens and new earth. And if books, then why not fantastical genre books? And if those, why not the best ones made by Christians, as well as maybe even some really good uh, accidentally Christ-exalting secular fiction. You never know. Some of that is speculative, but what is real is the fact that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And as he has risen, so we, his people who believe in him exclusively will also rise. How are you looking forward to your resurrection? And how do you look back to Christ's resurrection? You can send us an email podcast at lorehaven.com, or you can find us on the socials to search for lorehaven or post a comment in response to this uh, podcast notes at lorehaven.com slash podcast for episode 108. Speaking of comments, we got a lot of pushback, as you know, Zach, about a recent article uh, at the Lorehaven website. Uh, that was the one 
uh, by a W.S. Fulkerson. It was called Fast and Furious Movies Prove That Fantasy Can Become Propaganda. Well, anytime you put the word propaganda in a title, that's already going to raise an eyebrow or two. But a lot of folks were raising eyebrows multiple times reading through the article. Uh, Wesley and I both have had a chance to engage some of the responses there. Although it's his article, I did have a hand in it because I published lorehaven.com. So in a sense, I'm also responsible. I think there is some stuff in the article that people were misreading, uh, maybe because uh, W.S. Fulkerson was going after uh, a secular level uh, corruption of the idea of found family. But a lot of people, a lot of Christian fantasy fans in particular, have a very uh, warm response to the found family trope. You know, the idea that maybe your real family will let you down or even abandon you, or maybe they died. You know, if you're one of those orphans with a prophesied destiny in a fantasy world, Found family means a lot to people. And because this article emphasized the negative uh, side of that at the more broader popular cultural level, a lot of folks were reading that from the perspective of what they had heard in their local church or what they'd heard from uh, other family members about found family. Uh, I think that is a divide uh, that may be very difficult to overcome. Uh, and I think some of the stuff in the article uh, may have uh, made that more difficult to overcome. Uh, I think it is important to definitely read articles like that uh, with a spirit of grace, uh, but also to recognize uh, that Lorehaven does want to post some challenging content here and there. Uh, we're not going to turn into the popular culture discernment blog. I have no intention of doing that. But every once in a while, you may find something a little bit spicier. And I think it's just important to realize that every article is not meant to be the final word on the topic. Uh, our articles are meant to be part of an ongoing conversation among this growing community of Christian fantasy fans who want to discern these stories for God's glory. That's why, overall, I'm glad that we're getting really good discussion about this. Uh, and yet it is interesting, Zach, we've talked some about social media algorithms and such. Uh, this article is getting a lot of play. It's getting a lot of reads. It's getting a lot of shares and comments. I think a few people may have uh, hit that angry button, which I think gets you like plus five <laughs> in your Facebook <laughs> XP score. Oh, the uh, algorithm which means loves that. The that. algorithm yeah. loves that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it is something to note. You know, I think that's why this article spreads further. And if Lorehaven or me personally were going to be about the clickbait and just about getting the reads via the outrage machine, uh, we would look at that and go, well, let's do more of the same. I have no intention of uh, living off of that kind of energy. I think there's plenty of sites that do that. Plenty of uh, even Christian writers that may thrive on that sort of thing. I, I don't want to be one of those. I don't want Lorehaven to be one of those. So uh, yeah, we're going by to the algorithm, move, die by the die algorithm. By the, yeah, I don't yeah. want to live. I want to live by true delight in stories, uh, which is you know founded in the gospel, which does often require uh, some side quests into debunking false ideas in the world or false ideas in stories. But the debunking and even some of the more uh, strident pieces like this one, uh, that needs to be the exception and not the rule. That doesn't mean we're never going to do it. Uh, we're still going to have some stuff on Lorehaven that's going to challenge people. Uh, it's like the discern section in our reviews, but our reviews are not limited to the discern section. The discern section at the end is like one to four lines. You know, four lines means your story had some really challenging stuff in it. But the discern section is, in a sense, an afterthought. Uh, our lives as Christians are not about just discerning and debunking. Our lives are about worshiping Jesus and delighting in him and wanting to be like him. But that involves questioning and challenging some bad ideas or some idolatries that can creep into our lives. I think, uh, you know, speaking of exceptions and rules, you know, I, I really saw that as the core argument that, uh, that Wes was making this article that, look, we have to discern how stories 
take an exception to a rule and make that the new norm and then push everything else out, push the norm out and make that the exception that kind of flips everything around. And yeah, you know, we, we don't typically take this pop cultural discernment angle, like you said, Stephen, uh, because that's not really our focus here. So I think that surprised a lot of people that we were publishing an article that, that was more discernment focused. I've noticed in the past two or three episodes, we've talked a lot about the Disney debates. Like, yes. But we could make an entire podcast about that and just focus oh, on yeah. nothing but yelling about Disney all the time. I want that to be the exception and not the rule. But it is something that people are talking about. So I don't want to ignore it uh, and go into this sentimentalist, uh, you know, a Christ, very Christian inspirational painting world where nothing ever goes wrong and people never fight. That's not reality. Uh, but as we talked about a few episodes ago, I think that good fiction can actually help us go back into those conflicts, viewing them in the perspective that, okay, this is something we got to do sometimes, but it's not the be all end all. Uh, It's not the chief end of man to fight your Christian neighbor uh, or to debunk the false teaching. That's something you do on the way to your actual chief end, which is glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Yeah. So I haven't really commented on this article anywhere, and I just want to offer some brief comments here. I've been waiting to just say this for the podcast. Kind of my general philosophy, by the way, just for you, our listener, to know, in case you wonder why I don't speak up in the comments and elsewhere, I feel like the podcast is my space to speak my thoughts. I I leave the comments mostly to other people. Now, Steven's in a different role since he's the editor of Lorehaven, so he he speaks up in a lot of places. But the way that I kind of looked at this article was, again, talking about that exception in the rule thing. No one is saying that an adopted child or or a family that adopts is in any way less than a bio family. Oh, like, God forbid! God forbid! That no no one is saying that. Our very first experience with our church was a, a lesson on adoption, and then we went through an adoption class. And look, they they tell you everything. They they prepare you. They take off the uh, the rose tinted glasses to say, this is what adoption can be because. Basically, in any adoption case, there's some kind of trauma. There's some kind of tragedy. And now Wes didn't really talk about all that, right? Okay, so he's he's mostly, but I know that he agrees with that. I know from other comments he's made, that's his point. It's not about the value of a child. It's about the experience of a child. And it's about the experience of a family. <laughs> with very explosive topics like this, I think it's good for everyone to just kind of look at other commenters or or whatever and just kind of assume the best. You know, assume that we're on the same side here. Uh, we might see things a little differently, but let's not jump to the worst possible interpretation of what someone is saying or might be saying or might be thinking. I, I don't think that ever is healthy. I think one thing uh, that I want to recognize in the response to this article is that family issues bring to mind all kinds of haunted faces from the past. Oh, sure. Uh, you may read uh, someone else's comment or someone else talking about the dangers of such and such. And then instantly, with before you even know it, uh, your imagination is brought to mind an echo or this uh, hovering shape of some, frankly, sinful spiritual leader uh, from your past, or maybe somebody that a friend or family member has told you about. Uh, and instantly that equivocation is made like, well, this warning is actually secretly about this terrible uh, anti-Christian and anti-adoption statement over here. Uh, and I just want to recognize that that will happen. And it's something I want to be aware of as I'm editing articles and training my own imagination. Our backstories are going to figure into what we believe just as much as what we've learned and what we've taught ourselves and what we've picked up from the world around us. All of that just makes us human. So just to echo you there, Zach, as we close this little feedback to the feedback section, 
we are all human beings. Uh, and certainly a Lorehaven article is written by a human, certainly edited by a human. Uh, we want to approach stories and articles about stories as human beings, uh, hopefully with an eye towards the ultimate human, Jesus Christ, uh, the risen Savior, who is still human to this day, uh, and in whom we are still learning to work through these issues, uh, hopefully with grace as tr- as well as truth. Yeah, well, and this really points out the fact that stories disciple us. Stories don't just import uh, fun experiences, but sometimes very important ideas to discuss, debate, discern. So uh, I, I think we have to uh, keep our eyes open for that and figure out how to best use stories in a discipleship way. Well, speaking of found family, you can join the Lorehaven Guild where I'm not sure we're family in there, but we're certainly very good friends uh, getting to know each other and going on book quests. The ongoing book quest for this month of April 2022 uh, is The Green Ember from S.D. Smith. Elijah David has been leading that book quest. Now we're about halfway through there. We haven't figured out the next book yet, but if you have any ideas or you want to join the guild, talk about this article or any other articles, any other great books that you're finding and enjoying as a Christian, just go to lorehaven.com. Look for the sign up box at the bottom. Once you sign up for free, we will send you that super secret access code. You can then magically portal into the guild, our exclusive discord community, uh, join our growing community of heroes that are exploring stories for God's glory and applying their meanings to the real world. Next on Fantastical Truth, speaking of discipleship and found family and all of that, uh, if your church has a bookstore or lending library, you will probably find lots of nonfiction in there, such as Christian living resources, Bible studies, and discipleship material. But we know that people also get their discipleship training through stories and songs. Almost every church has about half of that covered, with the songs and worship and maybe a whole ministry team devoted to music. But... Should church bookstores and libraries offer more fiction? And we might even ask, should churches have story pastors to help disciple others through stories, just like the music minister does this through music? In our next episode, we will speculate with some different perspectives between Zach and I how and what this could look like. Meanwhile, as you're celebrating the risen Christ, allow this to sink into your heart as well as your head. Christ has conquered sin and death and suffering He has raised to life. He is reigning today. And he won't just invite us to come up to heaven to join him there, but he himself has promised to return the second coming real and physical and epic to earth to bring about the resurrection of his saints as he has promised and to reign on the earth as its king, putting everything under his feet, including stories and songs and our conflicts. And we live in that hope as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.